Welcome to Rooftop Church. This podcast is part of our Sunday sermon series, where each week we dive into the Word of God and the powerful message of Christ. And I've categorized it in three ways of stewardship that leads to fuller life and more meaningful life for us. That, leading, that, that would lead to living our best lives. First is money. Second, opportunities, or uh, more precisely, ministry opportunities and people. And I believe when we become good stewards of money, ministry opportunities, and people, I know that you and I will have a chance to live a very successful, very fruitful life in our faith in Jesus Christ. So now read with me the first portion of today's sermon. Verses 1 through 4. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper, so that no collections be made when I come. When I arrive, whomever you may approve, I will send them with letters to carry your gifts to Jerusalem. And if it is fitting for me to go also, they will go with me. One of the most important things, or one of the most important ministries that Apostle Paul attended to during his third missionary trip was the gathering of special relief offering. And Paul was very committed to the task of collecting special offering that brought specific relief for those Christians that were living in Jerusalem. And he wanted to achieve several purposes in this particular relief offering. First, Paul was compelled that it was their responsibility or it was their blessing to return their favor as the Christians in in Jerusalem had imparted to them the spiritual blessing. So he made it his point, wherever he planted the church in the Gentile world, he taught the Christians or the newly converts of the value of giving in return for the spiritual blessing that they inherited from the Christians in Jerusalem. Second, he wanted to keep his promise, which he made in a conference years uh, years ago that took place in Jerusalem, and it was his personal commitment to help or attend to the poor to remember the poor. So he was keeping his promise that he made years ago. And lastly, he had an agenda which he wanted to unite. Uh, He wanted to bridge the gap that existed between the Gentile Christians and the Jewish Christians as well. You understand, don't forget that Paul was a missionary to the Gentile world. And this particular point always rubbed the wrong way with those that resided in Jerusalem. And the Christian leaders in Jerusalem had always longed for Paul to stay with them. And many Christians outside of the, even the leadership council, they, they, they could not quite accept or tolerate Paul being so committed to the Gentile world. So it was Paul's ministry tactic through uh, uh, allowing Uh, the Christians in the Gentile world to participate in this mission offering, his desire was to bridge the gap that existed that brought dissension and division between these two um, uh, faith communities. So what he's talking about here is a special ministry offering. 
in this particular chapter. But from Paul's instructions, we can also learn some basic principles that relate to Christian stewardship. Overall, we understand and we glean from this passage the value and importance of giving offering unto the Lord. And I want to make my point here, my sub point. First of all, giving is an act of worship as it partners with God's work. Say with me one more time. Giving is an act of worship as it, is, as it partners with God's work. And the expectations in the early church was such that each member of the church was expected to come to their gathering, expected to come to Sunday worship, uh, giving his or her share for that week. Perhaps it, it connected to the tradition uh, of the Jewish faith where they were accustomed to paying, giving tithes unto God. And for whatever reasons and meeting the particular needs and ministry needs around the church, every Christian in the early church were accustomed to bringing offering to their church gathering. And Paul says this in Philippians 4.18, and highlighting that we have to offer ourselves completely to the Lord. It doesn't just mean spiritually, but it means in every essence of our beings that we are to surrender unto the Lord. Let me read for you Philippians 4, 18. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied. Now that I have received from uh, Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Apostle Paul is talking and and writing to the church in Philippi. He's alluding to the monetary offering that he had received, meaning the Philippian uh, uh, Christians were supporting Apostle Paul in his ministry. And Paul recognizes their sacrifice and their giving. He calls it a pleasing and acceptable offering unto the Lord. So he's making a a correlation between what we give unto the Lord, the monetary gift that we give unto the Lord is directly tied to the surrendering of our hearts as well. Giving is an act of worship. As it is an act of worship, it also partners with God's work. It gives you and me the opportunity to partner up with what God is doing in the greater community of faith. And I want to remind you that you and I should give. When we give unto the Lord, we give in return, not expecting a return. Let me repeat that for you. We give in return, not expecting a return. A lot of times, Christians have this false notion that, man, when we give unto God, maybe God will bless me. When I make this offering, when I make this contribution, man, maybe that will, pre- maybe that will please God. Maybe that will move God. Maybe God in return will bestow upon me even greater blessings. So sometimes we see some Christians giving, expecting a return. And that's actually an incorrect of giving offering unto the Lord. The Bible teaches us that we are taught to, now now it encourages us to give because out of our gratitude, because we recognize all that we have, all that we have. The Bible tells us that what do we have that God has not given to us, right? So we properly give in return, not expecting a return. Because if you're not careful, if our motives are not right, it could end up serving just me, myself, and I. 
Or on, on the flip side, we can give because God has blessed us and we give out of thanks, recognizing that it came from the Lord in the first place, not requiring a return. And this passage teaches us and reminds us that giving should be systematic. Scholars suggest that most of the people living in the first century, most of the people in the first century, they were paid in the first week of every month. I'm not sure if that was uh, unilaterally true, but uh, there are enough evidences where they glean enough so that most people, that was the proper time of them getting their uh, wages paid. Even if not, it was customary for many Christians at the time to set aside their offering at home and then they brought it to the assembly on the first day of every month. And this was quite practical for Paul as well because as Paul was making his customary visits to the various churches he planted, he wanted to make sure that he did not receive multiple times. He did not want to be burdened with the fact that he had to wait many, many days to receive all the offering. So he encourages the Corinthians in the church, you know what, if you can, collect all the offering all together so that when I go there, that I'm able to collect from you just one time. And there are benefits of giving to the Lord on set days. Uh, I have made it a habit for, uh, in fact, all of my Christian life to give, onto the, uh, to give my tithes and offering usually the, within the first week of uh, every month. I have done that practically because uh, I, I found it that it's much easier to give at the beginning of the month rather than at the, towards the end because you see your money just uh, accounts being uh, lower, lower because as you have many expenses. And, and I realized it's much easier to give. I didn't want to struggle in a sense that um, when I see the bank account just kind of shrinking, uh, I didn't want to struggle at that moment. God, do I give to you? Do so it's much easier we give at the very beginning of the month. You know, I made a difficult but necessary transition of giving on the online platform. You know what I realized? It's so easy. It's so convenient. I, I, we have the option. We just set the amount, and I decide on which day of the month they should be expended. I just set it and forget it. So Paul is being very practical here, here as well. When we give, our giving should be and can be systematic. Third, giving was personal and individual. And Paul understood this. Paul expected each member to share in the offering. And he really didn't uh, uh, resort that opportunity for just a, a particular section of the congregation. He encouraged, in fact, everyone for those that had a lot of money and all for, also for those that did not have enough, those that considered themselves poor or those that considered themselves to be in great need. He encouraged every Christian to give. But he did make a point that, that our giving unto God should be proportionate. And if you read verse 2, and if I, when I study the NIV version, because uh, in a, we normally read the NSB version, but when I read the New International Version, it said, in keeping with his income. Paul encourages us that we should give, but we should give in keeping with our income. Suggesting that all believers who have more should give more, absolutely. But for those that are uh, uh, not as wealthy, for, for those that are not able to give as much, they should, Paul is encouraging them, then you should give according to what you are able to 
give. As the Lord gives us more, we should also plan to give more unto the Lord. You know, it's interesting that Paul mentioned the offering just after talking about resurrection. I think so the readers would go right from Paul's hymn of victory into his talk about money. And I want to remind you, a lot of times we declare faith in Jesus and we neglect the Christian duties for those belonging to Christ. But doctrine and duty always go together. Understanding and doing go together. Worship unto God and works go hand in hand. They go together. So understand that our giving is not in vain. But Paul is alluding to the fact that because our Lord is alive, because we worship and celebrate the resurrected Christ, and our giving is also in preparation, what? In ushering in God's presence and partnering up with what God is doing in the global community of faith. Second portion which Paul encourages us to be faithful or be good stewards in is ministry opportunities or opportunities. I'm going to read for you verses 7 through 8, 9. For I do not wish to see you now just in passing, for I hope to remain with you for some time if the Lord permits, but I will remain in Ephesus until Pentecost. For a wide door for effective service has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. So Paul was careful in his use of time as he was in his use of money. The issue here that Paul is referring to here is Paul stayed in Ephesus. Remember, Paul wrote this letter to the church in Corinth while he was spending time in Ephesus. And so much of attention was being needed, was required in the Corinthian church. Remember, Paul is a church planter. Paul started that community of faith in the city of Corinth, and that was very important. But the letter was written to Paul inquiring him what they should do with all of these problems that were arising in the Corinthian church. But Paul here, we see Paul prioritizing the new ministry opportunities in the city called Ephesus. So we know that Paul was in Ephesus when he wrote this letter. Paul's original plan was this. While being in Ephesus, he wanted to go to Macedonia for further ministry. From there, he wanted to go to Corinth. And he actually wanted to spend the entire winter in Corinth because they had great weather. And his original plan was to go from Corinth to what? Go to Jerusalem, delivering the mission offering that was collected. Well, the circumstances didn't really allow him to execute that plan. So the plan B was go to Corinth, then Macedonia, come back to Corinth, and go to Jerusalem. Well, that didn't really work out either. So his last plan that that he ended up doing was that he made a very quick trip to Corinth, a very short trip. And he then returned to Ephesus. He then went to Troas to wait for Titus, who had the offering money. Then he visited Macedonia. Then he went to Judea. So he didn't really spend much time in Corinth as he had hoped for or what they had wanted uh, uh, Paul to do. They really, really wanted Paul to be with them at the time where he was most needed. 
And Paul argues, Paul defends or he justifies for that reason is that the greatest contributing factor to that is that he had an open door of ministry in Ephesus. And that was very important to him. Yes, it was important that attention was given to the existing church. But it was more important for Paul that he would involve himself in what? Bringing the gospel for those that have not yet heard. It was more important in comparison. Pay attention here. It was more important for Paul than attending to the needs of the church. He actually chose to what? Chose the opportunity to win the lost souls. If it, was, if it was up to him, he chose to plant a new church in a new community in a brand new city. And he could not, he could not resist that opportunity. And here we are reminded that you and I should be good stewards of the opportunities, God's godly ministry opportunities that he comes and gives to us. Friends, I want to ask you this question. How committed are you for the works of God? How committed are you for the task of bringing the gospel to the world that is lost without their faith in Jesus Christ? How involved are we? How much do we participate? How much do we yearn for the opportunity to partner up and work together with God in bringing the good news those that have not yet heard. You know, uh, when I was contemplating and reading over and over again this last passage, last chapter of the first Corinthians, uh, 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 of the book of first Corinthians, I imagined Apostle Paul. I imagined sitting right in front of him. In fact, I imagined Paul being in my house, sitting at the same table, and we're conversing. We're catching each other up. I introduce myself. I tell him how thankful I am, how inspired I am. I'm letting him know about myself. I'm letting him know about my life, my family, my church. And, and all the while, again, this is all happening in my own imagination. All the while, I can see Apostle Paul kind of getting antsy. Again, I don't know why, this, this, but this was the imagination. This was a picture that I got. And I can see Apostle Paul getting antsy. And while I was going on and on about my life and introducing him about what I had been doing, I can see Apostle Paul getting eager to ask me the question, Scott, so what are you doing? What have you done to save the lost? What have you done to preach the good news of Jesus Christ? How many souls have you won? Have you reached the lost yet? What have you done? And I could see the eagerness in his eyes to ask me those very questions. And again, this is all going on in my head. I was pierced to the heart. And I found myself struggling to come up with evidence, come up with concrete examples to tell him. I had so many things to share about what we have been doing as a church. But I struggled to share about what we have done, what I have done personally, and more faithfully preaching the gospel to those that have never yet heard it. And I was reminded of a story that was once told by 
famous pastor, Pastor Rick Warren of Saddleback Community Church. He told of the story where his father passed away on his deathbed. And it was recalling the last conversations that he had. Well, Pastor Rick Warren's father was a God-fearing man. He was a lover of God, and he was a faithful man of God. And he was particularly passionate about sharing the gospel. And on his deathbed, Rick Warren was grasping onto the, the, the brittle hand of his dying father. And the last words given to Pastor Rick from his dying father was that, Rick, son, one more for Jesus. Son, win one more for Jesus. Just one more for Jesus. And today I echo the same words to you and myself, that you and I would be passionate to win just one more, to win one more for our Lord Jesus Christ, that you and I be faithful into the task of preaching the gospel, sharing the gospel for those that have not yet had the opportunity. And may, you, may we be good stewards of all the opportunities that God gives to us. Every conversation with our friends, every conversation that takes place in our workplaces, that we would not waste it, that we would not take it for granted, but we would capitalize on it. We would share it with gladness. We would share it with boldness. Amen, church? Last part. Apostle Paul reminds us that God has gifted us people. God has gifted us with many wonderful relationships and that we are to be good stewards of people. Let me read for us from verses 10 all the way through 24. Skipping a couple verses in between, but you could refer to the slides. Now, if Timothy comes, see that he is with you without cause to be afraid, for he is doing the Lord's work as I also am. So let no one despise him, but send him on his way in peace, so that he may come to me, for I expect him with the brethren. But concerning Apollos, our brother, I encouraged him greatly to come to you with the brethren. And it was not at all his desire to come now, but he will come when he has opportunity. Be on the alert. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus, that they were the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves for ministry to the saints that you also be in subjection to such men and to everyone who helps in the work and labors. I rejoice over the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus because they have supplied what was lacking on your part, for they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, acknowledge such men. The churches of Asia greet you. Aquila and Priscilla greet you heartily in the Lord. With the church that is in their house, all the brethren greet you. Greet one another with a holy, holy kiss. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. 
It was all customary for Paul to name various people at the close of his letters. And we see Paul doing this uh, several times all throughout the letters that he had written present in the New Testament. And all those ministry partners are mentioned. And I think Paul really understood that it was a team effort. I think Paul genuinely understood. He's not giving just lip service here. But I think Paul really understood the value of team ministry. I think he really believed that without the help and the support of these partnerships, that he could not do what God had called him to do. Understand that. Paul understood very specific call that God had given to him, he recognized that he could not do it without the help of those surrounding him. And I want you to remember that as well. Whatever it is that God has called you to do, whatever burdens that God has placed upon your heart and your life, understand that it would require the help and the commitment of those that are committing to stand with you. Amen? You cannot do this alone. I don't care how strong you are. It's not about how intelligent you are. It's by God's design that you will fulfill what he has called you to do only with the help of those surrounding you. A few months back, I had a chance to uh, just watch the highlights of the Academy Awards. I'm not a big movie person or uh, 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 such awards show, far less. I'm not really interested. But I was uh, was able to watch it because uh, the Herald, the the big story of this year's Academy Awards was this movie called Parasite. And being Korean-American, I felt very proud of my uh, uh, mother country. uh, This, it it was representing, it was just, you know, I was so proud, so I, I had a chance to watch um, that portion, uh, these South Korean actors and actresses and the director uh, receiving this great uh, honor and award. And what caught my attention was that when, the, this, when this director received, I think it was the best film award, right? I think it was the, the highest honor of the entire night, and he was given the award. And I know it's kind of customary for the actors and actresses kind of thanking everybody, but for whatever reason, I, I just really felt, I just really felt sincerity. I just really genuinely believed that he meant every word that he was saying. He thanked other movie directors. He thanked all those that came before him. He thanked the actors and actresses, saying, without you, this is this award I want to share with you. I think it just spoke volumes of his character. I think more than anything, he just really understood that anything of this magnitude, you cannot do this alone. And see, and I want to make this point, guys. Accomplishments are great, but what are they without community? Accomplishments are great, Achievements are great, but what are they really worth without the community celebrating and sharing in the work and the effort, right? You see, if people are prepared, get this, if people are prepared, then God will supply both the ministry opportunities and the money. 
so that his work will be accomplished. Let me say that again. If people, if God's people are prepared, then God will supply the ministry opportunities and the money as well. So understand that in your life, more than the resources, more than the monetary resources, more than the ministry opportunities, what you and I may need the most is what? People. People. Paul knew this too well. And he does not end his letter without acknowledging each name that has been significant in his ministry. He alludes to his spiritual son, Timothy. Along with Titus, Timothy was one of Paul's special assistants, usually sent to the most difficult places. If you read through the book of Acts, when, Mark, uh, when um, John Mark, uh, one of the disciples, when he kind of uh, had conflict with Paul, he, he quit partnering up with Apostle Paul, he recruited Timothy, and Timothy went everywhere where Apostle Paul went. And throughout the letters, and 1 Timothy, Paul alludes to Timothy as his, what? His own spiritual son. So he recognizes his spiritual son in his letter. He also recognizes Apollos. You guys know, if you read, again, read through the book of Acts and read through 1 Corinthians, you understand that Apollos was a pastor of the Corinthian church. He was a gifted preacher. So much so that his popularity grew. He was famous for his preaching. Paul did not have any jealousy. He did not have any envy in the gifts that God had bestowed upon Apollos, but he recognizes Apollos. He thanks Apollos for his partnership with him, partnership in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he recognizes Stephanus and his family. And they were the first people that Paul actually uh, ministered to and baptized in Achaia. And so Paul personally baptizes them and his entire family. So he recognizes them as well. As Stephanus and his family were faithful in the church ministry as well. And we know that Stephanus was joined together by Fortunatus and Achaicus. And they were the representatives of the Corinthian church. So when they corresponded with Apostle Paul, who was in Ephesus, those guys often made the trip to what Ephesus and communicate directly with Paul. And Paul understood that. Paul understood the valuable role that these men played. So in his letter to the church, he recognizes them. He lifts them up. By lifting them up, he's, he's, he's removing himself from the picture of recognition. And lastly, he mentions Aquila and Priscilla. You know that these two have been vanished from Rome because Aquila was a, uh, he, he was a Jewish man. So the emperors kicked all the Jews out because they were causing ruckus or they just didn't want to deal with them in their home country. So they come, they leave Rome, and they're joined together with Apostle Paul. And they connect because they are, much like Paul, they're tent makers. So they connect right away, and they're sharing in the partnership of the gospel. And Priscilla and Aquila so committed to the point that they moved their business close to where Paul's ministry was being done in Ephesus so that they can be of help in Apostle Paul. And Paul recognizes that. Paul recognizes these two. Hey, here's a godly couple. 
Here's a church le- here, here are a couple of church leaders that you guys should recognize and should look to, and he highlights them. Priscilla was a special, special woman of God. There's six different mentionings all throughout the New Testament. Of the four times that she's mentioned, she's the first name written in those particular passages. So Paul highlights these two as well. Why does Paul do that? He's making a point that you want a life filled with success and fruitfulness. He's highlighting the value of running together. Amen? And I want to remind you too as well, whatever it is that God has called you to do, I am certain, 100% confident that God has surrounded you who are committed to see you succeed. God has gifted you with those that will sacrifice, that will commit themselves beyond measure so that you may fulfill what God has called you to do. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that, a, isn't that a great news, friends? Meaning you don't have to carry the burden by yourself. We talked about this last week, didn't we? Meaning whatever that you have to do, whatever responsibility that you have to attend to, whatever calling that God has placed upon your life, look around. There's so many ready to join hands with you so many they will roll up their sleeves so that and they will not stop until they see you fulfilling every purpose every calling that god has placed upon you and church i want to challenge you with this i want you to remember those that god has sent alongside of you those that have eased your burdens, those that have prayed for you, those that have prayed with you, those that have uh, strengthened you, encouraged you to run, those that have run alongside of you so that you do not let up. I want you to honor them, remember them, and recognize them and mention their names in your testimonies. Highlight them because in doing so, you're elevating them. In doing so, you're honoring and recognizing God's work in your life. Paul says that in verse 18, therefore acknowledge such men. So friends, all those that are listening to the sermon today, acknowledge not just in your head, acknowledge just not in your heart. Let's learn from Apostle Paul. Let's vocalize. Let's encourage them as well. Let's strengthen them. Every time you testify, every time you share what God has done in and through your life, testify of those that have committed to run with you. Amen? Understand the value of co-laboring together for the sake of the gospel. As we live in this manner, when we become great stewards of money, when we become faithful stewards of the relationships that God has given to us and we are faithfully attending to what? The ministry which he has called for. Making our lives not about just living well, living comfortably, but we willfully, we deliberately place ourselves at the center of God's work. We participate in the work that will last 
beyond here, our life here on earth. Then, and only then, will we find pleasure. Then and only then will we find fulfillment in life. Amen? Friends, maybe you are like me. Maybe you are sad and glad at the same time that we come to an end of our journey and our time in the book of 1 Corinthians. But let's not forget all the valuable lessons. Let's not forsake the teachings that come through God's word. Let us faithfully attend to it. Let us adhere to it. Let us be faithful and diligent, not falling wayward into the temptations that the world throws at us constantly. But, as, but let us, as Paul says here in last chapter, let us be on guard. Let us stand firm in the faith. Let us be courageous. Let us be strong and do everything in love, in that love for our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Church, would you bow your heads with me in prayer? God, we thank you that we are able to finish our journey in the book of 1 Corinthians. Throughout the last several months, God, as we learn through the struggles and the challenges of the Corinthian church, we had the wonderful opportunity to reflect upon our own lives. And God, today, we want to just simply commit our hearts to you. And God, we want to surrender to you the burdens that we carry. And God, we recognize that, God, you care for us. And your love for us is just unfathomable. And God, while we recognize the, the hardships, God, we recognize also that you want us to thrive. You want to see us succeed. And so, God, we commit to the journey of loving you. We commit to the journey of working with you, being devoted in the kingdom works, Lord. And God, come to us. God, we pray for peace. God, we pray for even greater anointing and favor to fall upon everyone today. We pray all of these things in the precious name of your son, Jesus. Amen.